So if you think about that being the lesson that you can borrow from big companies, right? And you apply that in your own world. What you need to do is to say to yourself, okay, if things are becoming more and more uncertain, you have to continually recognize that your customer needs are changing. And so you need to build for those needs, predict those needs, and oftentimes help the customer figure out not what they want, but what they need. Because if you give your customer what they want, they'll, you'll never give them what they need. And that's the difference. That's, that's the difference between a vitamin and a headache pill. So you want to be the headache pill. If you're the vitamin, it's the first thing that they're going to cut out of the budget, right? So sorry, I can't afford it. I'm not going to pay for my vitamins this month, Prime Health. Hey there, guys. So today I'm proud to bring you a new version and format of the Matt Brown Show. This is the live Q&A topic-led version of the show. Uh, and this was built off the back of a, a broadcast we did a couple of episodes ago. That's uh, episode 253 of the Matt Brown Show. So do go and check that out for uh, the backstory to this one. But I told you then, and I'm going to tell you now, that we want to provide as much help as we can as a platform. We've spent the last five years building this platform into something of a utility tool, a way to connect with uh, thought leaders from around the world, and ultimately to really provide some guidance um, and some practical things that uh, you as business owners and business leaders can do today to navigate this world that is seemingly becoming more and more uncertain. So COVID-19 is more of an accelerant than a change agent, but many of us are battling to overcome this uncertainty driven environment. Business confidence in South Africa specifically is at an all-time low. It's the lowest it's been in almost 50 years and since records began. So this is a very difficult time for all of us. I received about 16 different voice notes on the WhatsApp studio line later in the show, uh, but um, I share some of the voice notes just to really give you guys a sense as to what people are currently struggling with. How are they suffering in the context of COVID-19? And I share some experience, some guidance uh, from a number of different angles that I believe that all of you can can really resonate with and that you can apply in your business today. I'd also like to take this opportunity to introduce a producer, a new producer of the Matt Brown Show. Her name is Saskia V. You may remember her from uh, the radio stations up here in, the, in Johannesburg, Radio uh, 538 and then Highfelt or 94.7. Um, so she also is now co-hosting this particular version of the show just to kind of manage the community and, and to really kind of provide some additional context for those of you who need it. So without further ado, let's get on with the Getting Down with Brown segment. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the first edition of Getting Down with Brown. <laughs> <laughs> So with, with me is my uh, new producer. We've actually hired one. Can you believe it? Uh, Saskia V, Finally. welcome. I know, right? Thank you. So Saskia is a, a voice you will recognize from the radio. Um, what radio stations were you on out of interest? Mm, I was on Mix FM for a very long time. And okay. I was on 9 for 7 for a very short time. <laughs> yeah. When, when it was still called High Felt oh long God. ago. Please don't. Yeah. Okay, that's great. I so, think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this is going to be entirely different to the usual long format interview stuff that I do, which isn't going away. Uh, but the backstory to this show, uh, this particular version of the show, Getting Down with Brown, is we one of our guests canceled last week and I just went live and uh, answered questions. And I 
had so much uh, interaction with with uh, you guys, um, the audience here, who are all entrepreneurs, business leaders, and just people trying to build things that matter to them. Um, and so, I, as I mentioned uh, on the podcast on that episode, was that we're going to do this more, and this is what this is. So every Tuesday and every Thursday, uh, I believe at nine a.m. Saskia is the plan now. Yes, let's do it at nine. It, don't get confused because today is Wednesday at two. So no, <laughs> this was this was only because knows what day it is. Don't worry. This, <laughs> this is called a pilot. <laughs> so I've got a whole bunch of questions uh, that um, uh, I've got probably about sixteen of them. Uh, from our studio mm. line. Uh, Mav is on the line. We are live broadcasting this. So if you want to interact with me and Saskia, please do that. You just have to comment. Um, so um, the, the subject for today, the topic for today is the certainty of uncertainty. And it seems to me that that's pretty much how it's going to be for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uncertainty ever goes away. Um, so um, just a comment from my <laughs> side. I think, um, you know, COVID-19 has accelerated um uh, you know, uncertainty. It's not. It's not necessarily a change agent. It is an accelerant to change, um, and it's forced. Mm. A, it's forced adoption uh, of things. It's forced us to innovate uh, in ways that we were only thinking about before. Um, it's forced us to rethink our entire business models. Why we are going to build anything at all uh, in some cases, and if we are going to build something, how should we do it now? And I think the, um, uh-huh. you know, if you have a business now, you're, you should be grateful. I'm grateful for the fact that digital kung yes. fu is still around because many of us um, uh, don't actually have that runway at all. I think And not you, just a business, a job for anybody. Mm. A job is amazing at this point. So that's already a shift, mm-hmm. a change. Hopefully, if you do have a job, you are very, very grateful and you're not moaning about it because mm-hmm. we do find ourselves moaning about it all the time. So at this point in time, I think you can just say, thank God I have a job. Exactly. That's already the first, the first change in your thought pattern, hopefully. Exactly right. Um, Mav, if you can please just post up the studio line. If you guys want to actually phone uh, into the studio, you can do that. Uh, or can you do that, Maverick? I don't know. I think, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you start sending us voice notes, um, which we're going to play a few with you today. Um, so let's, uh, let's get the show on the road. So um, I've got received probably about, I don't know, 16 questions from various people all around uh, COVID and change and how do we win in uncertain times. Um, so that's the subject for today. So um, let's get into our first uh, voice notes, this one. Hey, Matt, this is Adam uh, from Grid Worldwide. Listen, bro, I've got a question for you. Um, Most companies are trying to pivot. Most companies are trying to look at new offerings, look at new products. Um, But what's your advice on how do you know when you've landed a great idea that really has the potential to become a successful business or a successful product? And, you know, more importantly, when do you recognize that aha moment? When do you package it? take it further, speak to the right people. So it's just a case of, you know, great product, great initiative in your mind, but how do you package it for the world so that the world understands the value and sees the potential and same potential that you do? Cool, bro. Appreciate it. Thanks. Chat later. 
Cool. So that's Adam. Afternoon, Matt. Whoa, whoa. Great hold shows, on, guys. Jeez, like, <laughs> hold on. Just like, open up the floodgates and suddenly it's like, boom. Oh, God. Guy Harris. Hello. Uh, Guy Harris wants, it, wants us to add a succinct five-step action plan after each show. That's from LinkedIn. Ooh. Michelle Galloway, it's time to support local business more than ever before. Absolutely. Preach. I love that. That's what we're doing here, right? Yes. I mean, I kind of said to the um, – hence why Saskia is here and Maverin, I was like, guys, you know, we need to do more as a, as a platform. You know, we spent five years building this thing, and it's got to have more utility for you guys. So that's what we're kind of doing. Um, so going mm. back to, um, you know, Adam's question here about, um, uh, you know, how do you know when you've got a great idea – and then how do you then package it? So so for me, ideas are only ideas. It's like I love it when people send me, um, you know, NDAs just to talk to me about their business because it's kind of like, well, I don't care about your idea. You know what I'm saying? Um, execution is, is, is really everything. And in fact, if you send me an NDA uh, because you just to start mm-hmm. a conversation about something you're thinking about, then I immediately know that you're a greenhorn. So, um, and, and that, by the way, that's not just my perspective. That's pretty much anyone that's been in, in business for a period of time and knows what they're doing. So they're just ideas, right? You have to actually execute on those things. Um, and so uh, I know Adam and Grid and the team there very well. Nathan's been on the show. Adam's been on the show before. And they've built a monster business, best creative outfit in Africa, probably one of the best on the world stage, uh, part of the TBWA group. So so for them, I know that they're consulting to startups and it's all about, as he said, it's all about innovation and, and getting people well, getting companies to push new products and services. So if you're going to push new products and services, then how do you know uh, when you've got a good one? So for me, how you know is when someone's prepared to pay for it. Um, and that, that's the thing. So wouldn't it yeah. be in the investor sort of scope? That would be it. Yeah, because, you know, it's kind of like until the market's prepared to pay, it's kind of like saying, you know, another uh, angle to another way to tackle this from a different angle is to say it's never a good time to launch something new uh, because there's never a right time. You know what I'm saying? Because oftentimes it's like, oh, it's a recession. Um, you know, it's COVID. There's always a reason why not to, to do something. But the market will always pay for what it values. So the, the, the metric there is a transaction that underpins that, uh, that value exchange. So until such time as somebody's prepared to pay for what you are offering, that's when you know that you've got something uh, worth, probably worthwhile scaling up. So then the question to Adam's point is like, what do you do at that point? How do you then package it and, and scale it up? So for me, one of the big lessons that we've learned as a company is that we've built and probably what makes us you know, very, very different and the reason why we dominate our markets is because we built our entire business to solve one problem and we built our business continuously based on market feedback, real market feedback. So what you, it's like, it's, re, it's the reason why when you start a business, okay, it's very rarely the business that you wind up with. Right. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, or it's not really what you started out with. It's off center. And that's because you don't really know what the market's prepared to pay for, what the problem really is. So you have to build for the market. Let me give you another story. So the Navy SEALs, right, when they go to war, they don't have much of a plan. They have some idea they're going to, you know, uh, Afghanistan, Kabul, 
right? And they know who's in charge, and they know generally what what the what the uh, the objective is there for the U.S. military. But when they land on the ground, that's when they decide what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. They go to the general, the person in charge, the customer, right? And they say, Mr. Customer, what do you need help with? And then they'll go, I need you to go shoot those those seven dudes up on that copy. And then they'll go and they'll shoot those seven dudes on those copies. Or they'll say, we're taking, uh, uh, you know, we need you to, to defend our logistics uh, supply chain from Kabul to, you know, the northern parts of Pakistan. And then they will protect that. In other words, the reason why the SEALs are so successful is because they build their value or they create their value around the problem in real time. That's what makes them mm. powerful. And that's what makes them the world's most successful military force. So if you can, uh, you know, make the connection between, uh, you know, the military and uh, the real world business, because I often say in digital Kung Fu, it's like going to war every day. You don't try here. Trying is how you fail. You do. You do and you do. You execute. And then when you get feedback, rather make a mistake and then change, uh, you know, um, change what, you, what you're doing so that you can uh, create a better consequence or an outcome from that. Um, and so if you think about, um, you know, how do you know, yeah, how do you know, uh, sorry, I'm just reading the comment as well. So uh, how do you know when to package and scale things? Well, you've got to do that with the customer, you know, and continuously move with the customer because markets That's are always thing. changing. So, yeah. So the solution you offer needs to change as the market is changing. And with with Adam's point, maybe the only way that he's going to know is just to try it, possibly. Mm. Yeah. And just, would you say, but, okay, so let's say, for example, Matt has an idea and you tell, you, you know, the people closest to you and if they're honest, they'll say, oh, you know, shitty idea or, oh, this is quite cool. Yeah. Then maybe you start trying it. Can you do it without funding? And you said previously there is no right time, but surely there would be better times for certain things. So now, obviously, with COVID, it's a better time for the tech space. But, I mean, I wouldn't say, cool, open up a gym now. This is the the best time. So, obviously, you've got to be a little bit – yeah, but you could still Think do. About it a little bit. Yeah, sure. But you know, so the thing for me is that you must just solve a problem. You know, the problems will move. It's what, um, you know, it's what I said. I think on the last live Q and A, it's that you have to. And uh, Rich Maholan, I think, told me this. He said, you know, you got to find a problem, right, or decide on a problem the world has, and then go out there and solve it. And then the idea being is that you have to continually fall in love with that problem over and over again, because if you don't. Huh that's when you, you lose passion, you lose the, the ability to persevere, and ultimately that's when you, your, your likelihood of success is far lower, right? So you ha- that's what I'm saying. You don't really know, like who's your customer really? You know, you think it's this person, but it's actually not because they're the ones that you think, like the marketing exec, but actually the person that's buying is somebody in procurement, you know, so it's about yeah. thinking about who's your customer really. But ultimately, it's just problem solving. So as long as there's problems problem, to be yeah. solved in the world and as long as there's accelerant and uncertain times, there will always be new problems to solve. That's why what's fascinating for me about entrepreneurship is that if you know how to solve problems and make money, once you figure that out as a person, you will never be broke. You may, you may not have a lot of money at a certain point in time, but you will always make money moving forward. And that's what makes um, entrepreneurs so powerful as a community 
because it's the economic dividend that they're able to create. It's their ability to, mm. Adam's point, identify new products and services, a gap in the market. But the other thing to say, Saskia, to your point, is that there might be a gap in the market, but is there a market in the gap? Right? So can, mm. you, can you commercialize it, you know, to a point where it's sustainable because recognizing that, you know, a business needs to continually reinvest in its people, its technology, uh, its data, blah, 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 et cetera, in order to scale. So if you can't find that market in the gap, well, then you don't have a business. Then that's not going to. Hmm. That's right. And yeah. I suppose you would need to problem solve, you know, better than the next guy, better than your competitor. That's the whole. Yeah, that's right. But that's the thing, right? So, um, competition is an interesting one. You know, people say, oh, you must find a, a niche that where there's no competition. So often there's this, um, it's called first mover advantage, but there's another way in the tech space, which is called first loser advantage, right? So it's the ability to copy what other people have started doing and actually do a better job. So they, so in other words, a startup launches, finds a gap in the market, launches it, figures out that there's actually a market in the gap and they start to commercialize that. But what somebody else is doing is they're sitting on the sideline and they're watching them make that market and then they figure out, well, how can we do it better? And that's pretty much what we did as a company as well, right? There were other you know, lead generators, but they were shocking. <laughs> like it was, it was actually ridiculous. And people and big brands like Microsoft and IBM and Oracle paying a fortune to these companies, and they were and they were really toilet. They didn't know what they were doing. So we basically said, okay, how can we do this differently? And so we literally built the business from the ground up to be the opposite of everything else in the market. And that's what creates um, uh, attention. A successful. Yeah, but attention. Huh. attention. Michelle, Michelle says, 100%, you need to challenge all your boundaries. Revisit your profile and service offering. Entrepreneurs are the leaders of tomorrow. So that's a keep continually looking at your offering and how you can adapt it. So mm. would, would that be something that entrepreneurs right now need to be doing? Or, you know, a person that maybe you've lost your job, maybe now is the time to sort of relook at things. Mm. Well, that's this the thing. is this is the time this, yeah. to create some certainty around this uncertainty and look for the gaps. I think the the point I would say here is that um, the business is never finished; it's never done. Like the moment you think that you you you're good, this is my product. That's the moment when someone's going to come and eat your lunch. Um, it's like <laughs> it's like the moment you think <laughs> the moment you think you're successful is the moment I'm going to come and steal your thunder, right? There's always someone coming for you. Um, and so when you, when you recognize that that is the truth, because you know, it's like, you know, if you think about Toys R Us, if you think about Kame, Kalula, you think about Edcon, uh, I know there's other contributing factors here, so maybe they're not the best examples, but the point is you just take Toys R Us as an example, right? They thought they were too big to fail. Hmm. And so they had a market cap of like something ridiculous, like 15 billion. They had 300 uh, physical stores and they ignored e-commerce. They ignored it. Hmm. They, they, they did a joint venture with Amazon, but they didn't fully em embrace digital uh, e-commerce. And so what happens? Chapter 11. Hmm. In literally seven months. Seven months. It happens so quickly. So if you think about that being the lesson that you can borrow from big companies, right, and you apply that in your own world, what you need to do is to say to yourself, okay, 
if things are becoming more and more uncertain, you have to continually recognize that your customer needs are changing. And so you need to build for those needs, predict those needs, and oftentimes help the customer figure out not what they want, but what they need. Because if you give your customer what they want, they'll, you'll never give them what they need. And that's the difference. That's, that's the difference between a vitamin and a headache pill. So you want to be the headache pill. If you're the vitamin, it's the first thing that they're going to cut out of the budget, right? So sorry, I can't afford I'm not going to pay for my vitamins this month, Prime Health. I love this analogy because for my health and wellness business, this is like the opposite approach that I have. We've got to fix the cause, not the symptom. But now you say, yeah, it's got to be the other way around. But you're quite right because people, so say now, for example, you probably have less in your budget than normal. And what are you going to cut out now that bottle stores are open? No, you're still going to buy your wine. You're still going to buy your smokes. What are you not going to buy? You know, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, th that's how people are. You will still, yeah, buy the things that you want. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I think you're doing a great job. Well I guess. Done. So Emil, <laughs> Emil says there is a gap. Deliver amazing service and rather make 10 rand. Okay, so let's see what you think about this. Rather make 10 rand out of 100 clients than try and make 1,000 rand out of one client. But I think Matt might have the opposite opinion here. What do you think? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Um, well, I think that you should just win. I think um, oftentimes we are so caught up with winning big, we don't focus on winning at all. Um, and so rather take it, because remember for me, the all, all growth. Are we losing him? Are we losing me? I've lost you then, I think. Hold on. Let me try and rebring okay. it in. <laughs> Let me try and rebring it in here. But I think... Um, Oh, God. Oh, my God. We've lost Saskia. Are you there? I'm here. Are you there? Okay. I'll, let me just answer that question. So then I'll try and fix the mess that you've created up here on the screen. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think the, the point is to, to win. Just win. Uh -huh. You don't have to win big. Um, you know, it's like all growth is compounded. The greatest power in the world is compounded interest. If you think about a tree and the way that it grows from a seed to, um, to something, uh, you know, something really, really big, it doesn't go from a seed to a massive tree overnight. It, it layers low, uh, layer on top of layer on top of layer. And so over time, it compounds to become something big 
to withstand the weather and to withstand the the elements and so forth. Um, but primarily, you know, we're, we're, we just want to, we want to like win the lottery and that's not what business is about. Business is slow. It, re- it requires small wins every day to build something of scale, of something of value, of something of uh, noteworthy importance. And, um, and, so, and so what's really important to recognize is that it's compounded. So forget about trying to become a tree overnight. Rather just focus on building that layer on layer on layer, getting those fundamentals uh, in place making sure that you really understand the customer, making sure that your product, your pricing, and, and the narrative around what you're trying to move is on point, right? That it's the best mm. possible, that it can dominate that market uh, and do what it needs to, to do at the end of the day. And maybe you can look at this time, this uncertain time, as a real growth spurt in your tree because that is what this will be. It, it's you know, a year of serious growth. I would think, because that's what COVID's doing. It's it may seem like you're sitting at home, standing still, but I think when you look back in hindsight, this is going to be a year of a lot of stuff is is going to happen. So yeah. instead of maybe looking at that uncertainty, look at it as a time of growth. That's that's what I try and do every day is to really say, okay, but this is growth. It's uncomfortable. It feels a bit shit sometimes, but that's exactly what growth should be. Yeah, no swearing. Possibly. No swearing. We live. <laughs> I'm not allowed to swear. Nope. Facebook hates that. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. So um, Michelle says as well, um, spread the risk. Exactly what's to Emil's point. Um, that is how the cell phone networks make all their money. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> I know, right? What would you do without them? Uh, guys, please keep bringing in your questions here. You can actually see them up on screen. Uh, we're getting loads of them, so please keep them coming in. Uh, let's try and make this as awesome as possible. Cool. Um, so should we get on to another voice note? Yes. Let's do it. This one's from Ashley. On point dimensions. Uh, my question is, uh, is, is how the current and post-COVID situation is going to affect small and medium enterprises? And how does a small business entrepreneur change his business model to accommodate and to meet these changes face on. Um, I'm finding very difficult to to see the future of small enterprises and trying to plan the way forward um, to meet these changes. So your uh, opinion would be great. So thanks so much, Matt. Uh, and great show. Have a lovely day. Cheers. Bye. Mm. Yeah, so you can hear it's it's he's got a lot of consternation in his voice, right? Um, He's battling to see the future of his business Mm. and small businesses in general, and that's unfortunately the reality that we find ourselves in. Um, You know, even I'll talk about what we were trying to do over the last week. So, our our situation here um, at Digital Kung Fu um, has been uh, one of extreme growth. And when COVID-19 hits, our revenues flatlined. Um, so I can't continually, I can't hit my, uh, my business revenue targets if we don't continually, you know, make our sales targets. And unfortunately, if the market uh, is stagnant or it starts to dry up or it is, you know, in the case of what Ashley was saying is that, you know, the future for his particular business is dried up. And like, I, there's so many examples of this. Like, what do you do? How do you pick yourself up when there doesn't seem to be a, a future for you in your current business? Um, and so, um, 
I'll say this though, you know, all growth comes from you. It has to come from you. No one's going to fix your problems for you. And, you know, we can say today that it's COVID, but you know what? After COVID and after we come out of, um, of uh, you know, this lockdown period, is, there's going to be a recession, right? We are in a recession and it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And then we're going to be talking about why the recession has killed our business. And then you've got somebody else who's talking about competition or you're going to be talking about the fact that you got outpriced in the market, that the RAND has, has depreciated and so therefore your import costs have gone north and so that's wiped out your margins. So I think the, the thing to recognize here is that there's always threats. There are always threats. This time it's COVID. That's the flavor of the month, right? So the flavor of the last three months. Uh, but there's always going to be something that will threaten your business. So what do you do then? If you recognize that that's going to be the truth. Well, what you need to first recognize is that there's external and internal motivations. There's the external motivation to beat a competitor, right? But once you beat your competitor, what do you do then to motivate yourself? Right, and so you have to understand what motivates you. Like, um, there's a, a lady who I'm actually going to play the voice note of after this. So she makes the most amazing cakes, um, and so uh, with COVID, weddings cancelled, big birthday parties cancelled. Her entire base, her opportunity to make revenue during the pre-winter months, dried up. So she wasn't, well, she's basically in a massive survival um, mindset right now, in the sense of she can't float the quiet months. And so what do you do there? So what she's done, thankfully, is that she's recognized that she has to change and she knows what she needs to do. So she went, she's got a, a training component to her cake business. And so this, uh, this lady, Kate, I'll, as I said, I'll play the voice note to her shortly, uh, from her shortly. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she actually did the change that was necessary. She didn't talk about it. She didn't she didn't, um, you know, what's the word when you kind of delay doing something? You, she didn't procrastinate. She mm. just basically did it. She just recognized that there is only one way and that is through. The obstacle is the way. That is the way. It's never mm. going to get easier. You know, the uncertainty. And that's why. Go ahead. That's why being agile, this is, this is Matt's whole thing um, with his business, is to be agile and sometimes you can't overplan, you can't overthink. Mm. So in this case, you just you just got to do it. Just do it. You just got to do it. And I know that sounds cliche, but that's actually what it takes. You know, but the difference is you're going to find two entrepreneurs, one that's going to let this whole situation define them and go, okay, I'm actually done. I lost. All right. And that's okay. If that's what, if you're prepared to settle for that, then that's fine. But if you're not, then you need to do what's necessary. You have to do the change. You know, as I said, your internal motivations are far stronger than anything from outside of you. And so at the end of the day, it's kind of like saying, uh, again, Richard sure. Holland made a great, uh, has got a gold cast uh, keynote all about regrets. Got like, I don't know, 30 million views now. But he spoke about regret. Um, and maybe we should phone him, actually. Should we get him on the line? And he can tell the story. Should we try phone him? Yes, let's do it. Because this thing, this, um, I, this idea about regrets is a bit, an important one, right? Um, because you always get what you settle for. Hmm. Or he's on another call, typically. And I guess, <laughs> I guess as well, if you don't do something, yeah. then you will regret that. What's that other old cliche? You'll, you'll regret the things you didn't do, not the things you did do. There you go. That's it. So that's, that's mm. you've got to just 
We've also got a meal. Okay, we'll get to this question just now, though. Um, we've got another one from the meal here. Um, should we try this once more? Yeah, let's try again. He knows you're trying to call him, so he's. <laughs> the meal. We're going to get to a question now. I do quite like it. Lame, Rich Maholland. Damn. Okay, but anyway, so as just your point, he's so busy. Is this five minutes? Is five minutes? We're going to come back to the regret thing, but I'm just going to say, like, you know, you're going to regret it if you don't change, and but change isn't easy. It's hard. It's gonna. It's gonna ask questions of you that maybe you're not prepared to answer, but it's going to ask you one thing that I know for sure, and that is, what is your best? Do you know what your best is? Um, and if you don't know, changing your business to serve one customer, you know, or from serving one customer today to an entirely different customer tomorrow and recognizing that the pain in changing and changing and transforming your business and your products and services um, is, is, it's not easy. Change is not easy, but it's necessary, right? So well, you have to change. There's no... And it comes, it comes down to the whole adaptable. So what is it... Uh, it's not the strongest or the smartest that will survive. It's those who can adapt. So you need to, so, I mean, look at all these restaurants now. So yeah. you, maybe you didn't have a delivery service. Maybe you didn't have any of this takeaway service, but you got to adapt. So you've got to get some guys on bikes and you've got to like yesterday, make sure that you can deliver food. You've got to, you've just got to yeah, do it. I think restaurants, this is something I think we should tackle in a whole episode is restaurants, guest houses, hotels, what is going to happen here, mm. airlines. We won't talk about that today, but is there perhaps, are there perhaps some, some sort of businesses that you might be in that it, you're not going to recover? No, but that's okay too because at the end of the day, you didn't fail. It was just the business. It was just the business. <gasps> he said this before. I remember liking it then. As well. <laughs> so here, let's, let's get into another one. This is from Kate, the cake lady. Hi Matt, this is Kate from Sugar and Ice. I would like to know, for those small businesses who produce products that are very labor intensive, how do we navigate through these tough times when due to the weak rand, our costs are climbing and now there will be a lower disposable income? Hi Matt. Oh it's my Kate God, please Smith stop. Here. Jesus, so I'm many. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, uh, look, as she said, again, you know, it's uh, the imp her import cost base has gone up. It's wiping out her margins. What do you do? You know, it's well. You could probably source another factory, depending. There's so many, so much, mm. uh, so many, so much context there that we need to understand to really yeah, answer that but, one. But people still want to eat cake. <laughs> That's cake. the thing, right? Make me, make me a cake every Saturday. I'll buy one. Mm -hmm. You've just got to find. I think with something like that, I think you could still do it. You've got to be a little bit, a little bit creative. Yeah, Kate. Um, this uh, is so funny. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. What's funny? That's from Ria. Ria Nate says, and asking, what is life asking of me now? So I got Colin Chapman, Rich is in a meeting. I can see his diary. That's on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh -huh. okay. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> the hacking Rich's diary. Whenever will he come on the show? Um, but, you know, so so let's unpack that a bit more, right? So your cost base is going up. So the only thing you can do to uh, unlock your headroom in your margin is to charge more. So if you're going to charge more, a customer is not going to want to um, just accept a price hike, 
why am I paying more for the thing, the same thing that I paid for last year? If I paid 800 Rand for the same cake and this year you, you're charging a grand, why? Well, I mean, obviously there's inflation and things like that, but oftentimes you can lose a customer base. So what you can look to do then is bundle uh, things together to create the the value exchange, the 10x the value exchange. Because if you back your product, right, I could say to you, I could say, listen, I'm not prepared to leave this particular cake provider, Kate, because I and I literally I mean this legit, legitimately. Like I will not leave Kate because she's such she makes the world's best cake. So even if she passed that on to me, 200 rand, right, the difference, I'd go cool, no problem. I'll pay the 200 bucks because I'm in love with the product. But if for the rest of the customers that potentially are like, well, I'm not prepared to pay for the extra 200 bucks for the same product then what you need to do is stack your value. So you could say, okay, I'm going to give you the same cake, but now for a grand, but I'm going to give you 10% off your next cake, right? So I can stack the value exchange now, close the transaction, but then use the same engagement to then hook them into repurchasing with me in the future. Or I could say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to charge you a thousand rand, okay, for this new cake. I know you, I know it's 200 rand more, but what I'm going to offer you is a free one hour cake training uh, course, right? Online video. So she produces online, yeah. it, yeah, online. You don't want to be doing this face to face. So, um, but yeah, you, you record, you, you, you record the thing, produce it, you create an online series. I'm going to get, I'm going to give you access to the Sugar and Ice South Africa Training Academy where you can now learn how to cook little cupcakes for your kids because you know what? Kids don't just want cakes on their birthdays. They want, uh, you know, uh, cakes or cupcakes every time they can get their hands on them. So why mm. not connect with your kids uh, through this yes. Sugar and Ice Training Academy? Gosh, or get a, get a Sugar and Ice Zoom Training Academy and have your kids do that during the day while you're working at home and give them another hour of something to do. Yes. Parents would love that. See, I no. would... But, yeah, totally so, do that. So now, now I've gone from a 200 rand, oh my God, I'm paying 200, man, uh, 200 rand more to what is the value of that 200 rand in the context of spending time with those you love the most? What's that worth to you? I'd pay you 2,000 rand. So then, so that's, that's how, amazing. so now the margins don't matter. So it's all around how you creatively mm. tackle the, the, remember the obstacle is the way. There's always another move. This is the thing. Like with Ashley, it's like, um, you know, it, or whoever you are listening to me right now, it's us right now. Um, you know, if, you, if you're facing an obstacle, the obstacle is the thing that you need to solve. <laughs> it's like, don't, use, don't let the obstacle like stop you. Use the yeah, obstacle. That's the thing. That's the thing you got to do. It's like you do the 110 meter hurdles. You don't just run along the side that you get disqualified, right? <laughs> I've actually got a, I've got a very good friend who's a yoga instructor and obviously COVID happened and this has been an issue um, because she obviously teaches classes. So now she's got online classes. I've signed up now as well. And this is especially for people that can do yoga at home now, especially if you're uncomfortable and you're starting off and you think, oh, I don't want to go to a yoga class. You can do it on Zoom. And the other day, she had a class of almost 100 people. She's doing so well. She immediately said, okay, cool. I can't do my classes. Let's do a Zoom thing. And she's doing phenomenally well. So it's just changing your mindset a little bit and being adaptable. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Um, Out of the box thinking, that's it. You get free advice here from Matt. Amazing. 
I hope you get lots of free cakes, eh? I know, right? <laughs> uh, Mav, please tag uh, Sugar and Ice South Africa on Facebook. That's her Facebook page. And I highly recommend go there now. Show some support for small business. Uh, she really does have Absolutely. the best product. She's um, based up here in Joburg. So go there now, everybody. How's it, guys? Just a quick one to say. Did you know that due to COVID-19 that the small business sector in South Africa is currently at risk with close to 525,000 formal SMEs locally, employing 6.6 million people. These businesses are at greater risk today than ever before. You know, as a community, we need to do as much as we can to help SMEs succeed and survive during this time. And to this end, I've decided to give away free copies of my number one Amazon best-selling book, You're in the Game Today, which shares the 12 principles that high-impact entrepreneurs, billionaires, and world champion athletes use to overcome the impossible and achieve the extraordinary. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy or maybe share a copy with an entrepreneur that you feel could benefit from this incredible story, please head on over to mattbrownshow.com. Hit the Your Inner Game link, put in your details, and we'll deliver a digital copy to you instantly. And for more information, guys, about the book and more developments around the Matt Brown Show, head on over to mattbrownshow.com. So this one is from uh, Spilly. Hey, Matt. Spilly here with three L's. I've got a question that's quite pertinent to the current climate. With so many business owners moving their offices to a remote or decentralized model, how does one ensure that culture remains healthy and evolving at the same time, especially when you can't see the physical cues of people being unhappy in the, in the workspace by looking over their shoulders these days? Looking forward to your answer. Chat to you soon. Cheers. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bloody good question. I, that was actually, I, I actually thought that that was, um, uh, Rich is now ready, everybody. We can now bring him on. Um, <laughs> But uh, just before I'll come back to Spilly's thing around culture, but that's like that's a huge one, right? I would pay someone between ten and forty thousand rand a month just to manage culture in a distributed workforce because it's hard, and hard things are valuable, and culture is everything in a business, right? And, and at the moment, it's it's it, it, and it is personal, and I think that's the mistake that a lot of CEOs, a lot of people make that oh, you must leave your work at home. Well, now you are working from home. Everything's mushed together and all your personal stuff is your office stuff. It's all mixed. What's well, always mixed, but now it's really, really mixed. Mm-hmm. So I think a good boss that understands that possibly. Well, well, I think the thing is you don't understand that as a boss. So I think what you do is you you think you know, but you really don't. What You, you think you know what your team's going through, but you actually don't. And I, and I can say that hand on heart, to be my experience because I paid um, a lady called Deborah Hartung. Uh, Mav, please tab, tag Deborah and the timestamp on this uh, on the stream, 37 minutes. Uh, but um, she uh, did this word cloud thing. So it's like everybody fills out this online kind of survey and then it basically shows you in a word cloud um, what or how people are feeling. And the, like, the two or three biggest themes was like anxiety, fear, um, uh, loneliness, uh, stuff like that. And so when you see it as a CEO, when you see it as a business owner and, as, and a leader, suddenly it becomes real. Because what was shocking for me is they don't say things like happy, you know, excited, anything like that. It's like nothing positive. It's just all negative. 
And so how do you build a high-performance team in an environment where everyone's basically thinking negatively? Because that, and by the way, I'm not saying I'm influencing the, the business and the culture that way in a negative way. I'm saying that the environment that we're all in is the thing that is messing with everybody's mindset. It's like if you like go to BBC, I mean, geez, let's go to the BBC. Just like, just to illustrate the point, news.bbc.co.uk, check this out, right? So let's see this. Sweden, we know who killed the prime minister, right? And then chaos engulfs voting in White House battleground. You know, it's like, it never ends. This incessant, mm. like, you know, um, yeah, locust collection scheme after crops destroyed. I don't see anything happy about this. So we're digesting this media over and over and over again. And then, by the way, you speak to your parents and your friends and, you know, then it's Instagram and then it's Facebook. And so obviously you, you're, you're depressed. So what do you do as a leader when you're trying to now manage a, a team in an environment which is threatening to them? And so Deborah has a, a number of really awesome ways to um, help companies do that. So I'd highly recommend if you want to fix your culture, Spilly, um, speak to an expert, speak to someone who can make uh, hold you accountable because oftentimes I think when you are poking around in the engine room of your business, sometimes you forget that you have people to manage. And that's ultimately, uh, you know, as a leader, what you want to focus on because that's all a business is, is people working towards a common goal. So you want to be empathetic. You want to really understand like the, the amount of personal stuff. Like business is business, sure, but it's actually personal. Like yeah. everyone is going through, everybody is suffering. And so, like one, like a little thing, like or that I did was like two, three weeks ago. So I phoned every single employee and I just said, "How are you doing? What help? Well, how can I help you? Anything at all? I've given personal loans, not like like grand, two grand or whatever, because someone's father died, and I was like, here, here's some money. Go and you know support your family or whatever the case is, yes. you know. And just spending the time with them to say, "How are you doing? How are you?" You know, Saskia, Mav, whoever it is, how are you doing? Uh, can I help you? I care about you, you know, uh, and to reinforce that all the time because that's what people like they respect. You know, they want the, the transparency of a leader, someone who can empathize with their situation and tell yeah. them that it's going to be okay. It's just going to be okay. Right. And if, that, if that's all I it takes, you know. And that also, you said, you posted something, so Matt posted something sort of around the beginning of, of COVID times when, during lockdown, when things were really rough during level five, and you said, the, the thing is to trust, to trust your staff now and to give them your trust, which is really difficult because you're pretty much saying, okay, you're working from home. I have to trust that you're working from home. And mm. with that is, okay, maybe you're having lunch now or you probably get more done actually, but having your boss or whoever is above you trust you and really trust you is probably also a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Not having somebody, because here's a point here that Michelle also said, no one is ever happy with someone looking over their shoulder. So now people have to sort of be happy with the fact that, okay, my boss is trusting and you as a boss or CEO, you need to give that trust now. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it's just going to be a nightmare. And every, everybody is already, what Matt's point was, everyone is already anxious and fearful of the future. It's, it's, so you need at least maybe your work environment 
to feel like a little bit of a safe, trusted place for you. Possibly. Exactly. I actually want to phone Rich now. So here we come, Rich. Here we go. Because he's actually better placed. He's run Missing Link for 20 years. Yo. Richard, hi, buddy. Brad, Brad, Brad. Uh, my home signal shit, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> no swearing. <laughs> yes, I'm not the only one. How many, how many times, guys? <laughs> how many times? I'm actually going to only phone people who don't swear. That's basically no one I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, good, good grief. I think you're, you're as bad as I am. <laughs> <laughs> we can never live up to the expectations of Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, uh, yeah. but Rich, uh, two things I want to chat to you about. One is regret. I uh, just want, uh, if you wouldn't mind, just um, recounting what you've learned about uh, regret and anything you want to say around that. And then the second thing I want to kind of double down on is what Saskia was saying was around trust. And I know that, you know, you've been running Missing Link for 20 years now. So you like, you know, 10 times the length of digital Kung Fu, basically. And so you'll have a far better idea about, um, or maybe a different idea, I suppose, um, about uh, how to manage staff, uh, you know, and giving them trust or not and all that kind of stuff. So if you could start with regrets, what have you, what, what have you learned about regrets? So the context there was that uh, if you don't change your business in order to, like, let's just say your runway gets taken away because of COVID and you're not prepared to change, then if you don't change and you lose your business and uh, you might regret that. Um, and if you're prepared to settle for that, that's fine. But recognize that you only get one shot at this really. So, so what are your views on regret? Well, so I have a, a relatively simple point of view in that um, if I did nothing, I, I can only regret actions I don't take. So if I did nothing and like if I, if I try something big, and it breaks and I completely destroy my business. I wouldn't regret that. That's not where regret comes in. And in fact, I know Dan Pink's new book is on regret, saying he's kind of saying that regret is not a bad thing. And I think regrets of mistakes that we made are not bad. I think regrets of mistakes we didn't make are bad. So I wholeheartedly believe at the end of this, we're all gonna have to hold, future, future me is going to hold me accountable to how I behaved through this. And I'm going to have to, the only way that I'll be able to hold my head up high is if I can look back at the actions I've made. And this kind of speaks to Saskia's point on uh, on trust is that I've, I've operated with regards to my values. So that's, mm. that's one of the big things. And then the second thing is that I tried something. And, you know, we were, we're now, we're, uh, uh, in spite of everything, we're only just short of our full quarter targets that we'd set in January. So, so like we're, we're pretty okay. And it's all with new products because we came out, we, we came out swinging. And so like, I will look back already. Now I can look back with pride at how the people of missing link stood up and responded. Now remember, I don't run the company anymore. So I'm just the sales guy. Sam, Sam is running it. Uh, and you know, my job is just to simply to be out there um, selling and helping with the marketing. But when I, when I see the work that the team has done, I realize like this is, this is incredible. And my part to play, I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that I'll be able to hold my head up high in a few years. Had I sat there waiting to say, I want to sit this out, I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. Because in every single industry, some people are going to come through this as winners in every mm. industry. And I want to at least feel like I made a go for it. Uh, and I feel like... I already feel like we're winning. We may not be like a big, big ticket winner, but we're certainly um, getting a, getting a share. And, and so I'm pretty stoked about that. And I think I would regret any inaction. 
that people have right now. And I really do believe that a couple of years from now, you're going to have to, future you is going to hold present you accountable to the actions you took or didn't take during this period. And you need to act accordingly. Mm -hmm. Rich, um, what have you learned about trust in the sense of managing staff and your team? What surprises you or what has surprised you as you, when you reflect back over the last 20 years, what, what surprises you the most about, you know, trust? Do you give it? Is it earned? Is it lost in buckets? What do you want to share with us? So, I was relatively lucky in that the, the industry I came from, uh, Rock and Roll, was uh, we had a show date at the time. And, you know, that quote by Duke Ellington, you don't need time when it needed a deadline. So, like, the show was going to start at a certain time and, and everybody in the crew just had to get their stuff done. And so my staff, this idea of looking over people's shoulder to to see what work they've done is kind of weird for me. I think we need, you know, I think we need to understand that we have uh, we have like jobs to do by specific times. So our entire business is deadline based. Trust doesn't come into it. Now, I may sometimes feel that you made your deadline, so you either made your deadline or you didn't. I don't have to trust you on that. It's you know the work is done, and then it simply comes down to the quality of which I think it's done. So you know, or that you know Sam or the team or whoever the the person in charge of that is, do we think this was done to a standard? That's not an issue of trust. Now, occasionally you get let down by people who try and you know get something. Um, you know, in at the last minute, and you can see it's tough hard work. But usually, as soon as you look at it for like two minutes, uh, they, they'll they'll kind of flake and say, "Listen, I kind of something was happening. I was busy." But so, like trust generally isn't part of an equation that I consider when it comes to our people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give them deadlines. They know what they have to get done by when, mm-hmm. and they're going to make it or not. I don't have to worry about what they're doing between them. It's it's just going to be done. Okay. So you got to give people a framework to work towards. If you just give people open-ended, hey, just you know, just do whatever it is you can do during this period of time. It requires a lot more trust. Okay, hmm. I love that, Rich Maholland. Everybody, missing link. Go check it out. Great presentation. Thank lovely. you, brother. Thanks, brother. Cheers, cheers, Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Um, bye. Bye. Uh, Saskia, see your power went out, eh? It did. T I A. This is Africa. I, ha- <laughs> I had no water. I don't think we still don't have water. I live in four ways, you see. <laughs> four ways, stop. Sins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just um, want to actually... Okay, so, yeah. Sorry, before you jump in, I just want to actually play that regret uh, Goldcast video. It's about two minutes long. I think I just want everybody to, to really digest this because it's a powerful idea. 60 years later, regretting something that you didn't do. Right, can you fathom that? I walked in together and she was sitting there crying and she had this suitcase on her knees. And I said, Mamie, what's wrong? When she was young and she was about 20, she was, she was born, I think it was in 1908. So about 1928, she moved to Canada and she moved to, to the Toronto area and she met a man there by the name of Leslie John Moore and she fell in love with him. So eventually one night, he takes her out to the Great Lakes and he gets down on one knee and he asks her to marry him. Uh, and she says yes. So it was a beautiful thing. So she, she says she has to go back to Scotland to get her stuff and tell her family. So he gives her a suitcase and it has his initials on it. It says LJM, Leslie John Moore. And she takes the suitcase and she gets on a boat and she goes back to Scotland. And she tells her mom and her dad that she is engaged to be married. And they're all very, very happy. And then they turn around and they say to her, hey, but this guy... Is he a Catholic? And he says, no, 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 she's a Protestant. And at that time, that was a big deal in Scotland. 
So Mamie was never allowed to speak to that man again, ever. The week before she died, I walked in together and she was sitting there crying and she had this suitcase on her knees. And I said, Mamie, what's wrong? And she said, I was just wondering what my life would have been like if I'd married Leslie John Moore. It's, it's inconceivable to me. And I find that regret is a real problem that we're all gonna have to atone for. And I find that every single time you say, no, no, you're right, you're right, and you don't do something, what you do is you're writing out a check made to regret. And that check you're writing for regret, you will have to pay one day. One day you will sit there with your grandkids and you'll have that suitcase with LJM on your knee and you'll have to ask for forgiveness for yourself for all the shit you didn't try. Swearing. It's far better to live with the regret of the mistakes you have made than to die with regret of never having tried. So you actually have to try. Yesterday would have been easier. Tomorrow will be harder. There is no waiting. It's not going to get easier when your kids finish school. It's never going to get cheaper. It's never going to feel like it's making more sense. You do it and you do it now. See how awesome yes. is that, eh? That's it. What is Stephen Fry says the same thing. He says, no, it's not Stephen Fry, man. Hugh Laurie. Hugh Imagine, Laurie also has got a wonderful quote oh yeah. that he said, there, there is no, there will be no right time for anything. You may as well do it now. So there is, there will be no, there is no right time. Mm. Same when you have kids. Oh, but you know, when I, more financially secure or but then you'll say oh but now i'm doing so well in my job i don't want to have kids now or there's always a reason not to just exactly you do it and you do it now that's basically yeah yeah that's the punchline around that one um we can we can maybe one day chat a little bit we can pick matt's brain about do it now but not to be too You've still got to think things through. What's the word I'm looking for? Don't be too impulsive. Is there such a thing as being too impulsive? Maybe we can do a whole show around, <laughs> around that. Or do entrepreneurs need to be impulsive? Is that well, part of it? Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, opportunity cost, right? So what's the cost of doing nothing versus um, you know, the opportunity you could secure if you did something? Um, and so that it's really around a framework that you can, you know, use repeatedly for any kind of situation. Um, but I think at the end of the day, as I say, it comes down to you, like either you're going to make this change or, or you're not. Otherwise, you know, like no, no one in digital Kung Fu is going to change anything unless the direction of the company, you understand? Like it has to come from you at the top. Um, cool. So let's get into, um, uh, let's see, uh. Can we quickly answer Emil's question? I yeah. think he's been waiting for ages. Okay, go. And I quite like this one. And I hope that this will be the case. Do you think big business will remain relevant or will smaller players become more relevant? I'm sorry if that's not exactly how you asked it, Emil, but I have no internet on my computer that I was reading the question. <laughs> but you, some, it was sort of uh, like that. Do you think big corporates will remain relevant or will small players take over? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, of course, big corporates, I mean, if you think about this, the, the system of business that we all play in, it's like, you know, it's um, why there's that saying, uh, you know, startups go to big corporates Ooh. to die, you know, um, because corporates are really, they suffer from so, in, so much inertia, it's hard to change. Um, I do think corporates will always remain relevant. I just think they'll look different. So if you think about, you know, the, mar the world's largest market cap companies, let's see if we can bring this up here. World's largest market cap companies. 
Um, yeah, so if you if you think about, uh, in fact, here, let me bring this up on screen. So just to illustrate the point. Um, so here is the list of um, companies by market cap, right? So here you've got the dot-com bubble, post-bubble 2009, 2014, 2019, okay? So if you look at this, what does it tell you about the world of business? So it says, obviously, if you think about the world's largest market cap company in the world now, it's Microsoft, then Amazon, then Apple, then Alphabet, Alphabet, then Facebook. What does that tell you? It says that digitally centric companies, right, are the ones that are, uh, are, are the world's biggest companies, right? They've, they've recognized the future and they've executed and built their entire business to solve the future. Or they've created the future, right? So the best way to predict the future is to create it. Apple, iPhone, uh, Facebook, connecting the world's people, Amazon, e-commerce, Microsoft, cloud, you know, um, and that's why these companies are the biggest in the world. But if you go back to 2004, let's say 1999, it's still these companies, right? But then actually here, look, post-bubble, 2004, General Electric was the world's biggest company, then Exxon, then Pfizer was there, then Walmart, Citigroup, BP, AIG, where are they now, right? So they still exist, Right? They just they're not out of the picture. They're just not the world's biggest companies by market cap. Um, and so uh, as a startup, um, you know, it's you're more nimble, you can move quicker. Like I can change the direction of our business in five days. Right? A big company like a Microsoft or a Pfizer or a Walmart will will really battle to do that because of the inertia, the size of them. Like a big ship just takes a lot longer to steer or to turn uh, a direction. But a small startup is nimble and, and so on and so forth. So that's why big corporates want to engage with the startup community. They want to engage with them. They wanted to buy IP. Snapscan was a startup bought by Standard Bank, right? Snapscan should have been South Africa's first unicorn company, a billion-dollar market cap company. But they, saw, they went to uh, Standard Bank to essentially get scale because how do you get you know, 6 million customers overnight when you go to a bank? And that's the, that's the challenge with South African startups specifically is that we don't have a huge consumer market to scale. In America, you've got 350 million consumers. You can scale quite quickly. Mobile apps, right, or mobile payment apps. In South Africa, you don't have that luxury. So if you want customers, it's like you, you get, you got B to B to C, business to business to customer. Snapscan, B2B, merchant payments, they went to a bank, right? And then to get access to the B2C market. And that's the, the current strategy, as I understand it, for the startup ecosystems here. So will corporates uh, always be around? Of course. You know, they are always the haves and the have-mores. <laughs> so, but, uh, but hopefully that uh, – what I'm hoping is that all this – the corporate travel and the, you know, the things that are unnecessary – Mm. Not that all corporate travel is unnecessary, but I saw what was that meme. Now we'll see how many meetings could have been an email. <laughs> so that sort of money wasted in big corporates, that might change following this, or do you think it won't? Um, uh, I don't know. I think the jury's out on that, eh? I think the jury's out on that one. Mm. Um, should we take another question here? I want to take this one from Mark Keating. Hi, Matt. Mark Keating here from SalesGuru. Matt, my question is, in this very challenging market that we're in now, COVID-19, a lot of businesses are struggling to not just generate sales, but to push the sales through that have been postponed. What's your best advice? I'd love to hear. 
Yeah, tough question. Um, well, I think let's take the first part. So um, sales in COVID um, is, as I said earlier, if, if you describe, if you think about the fact that uh, there's always going to be something there threatening your pipeline, right? Um, and so what, uh, what you want to recognize as well, um, how are you serving your customer today? Um, and as I said earlier, also I suppose is probably a good place to go, um, is what need are you trying to solve for them? Do you really understand their business? Are you, re- are you trying to just push a sales deal over the line, like a pushy salesman, like nobody likes a cold call? Or are you trying to sell a solution? And I think one of the things, especially in the enterprise space that, that we see as a company is that uh, and just in general, actually around pipeline generation and sales across small businesses to SMCs to enterprise across um, you know, South Africa to Cape Town to Cairo and beyond, like we, so we build pipeline in probably you know, close to 20 different countries at the moment. And one of the things that we see around the data is that the market is moving away from product messaging. In other words, the mindsets of the average buyer, regardless of what you're selling, is not so much um, you know, interested in what your product has to offer. They are interested in the, in the support uh, mindset. In other words, how are you supporting me as a customer? In other words, there are many products out there like ERP systems, SAP, ERP, ACS, um, and, and, and there's many, many uh, ERP solu- uh, companies, right, and, ER- and with ERP products. So what makes them different when they all kind of do the same thing? And so especially in the enterprise space and what we see across all uh, pipeline generation, across all markets, is that customers are looking for support now, more now than they ever were. They're looking for uh, you as a customer to help them navigate this time. They're looking for a partner. You understand? It's a, it's a subtle nuance around selling. It's like people trying to get the product over the line, close the deal, close the deal, close the deal. It's necessary, sure, but the way that you do it needs to somehow shift from away from buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff to how can I help you buy my stuff? Hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, um, and then the second part Get of that, that on a t-shirt. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the, the second part of that question, though, uh, around uh, payment terms, it's it's a tough one, right? It's just tough. Um, you know, uh, partners in my space, you know, people who resell other software are are battling, right? Um, and if they can't pay, they won't pay. They will pay their staff. They'll pay their rent um, before they'll pay you. Um, and so it's just, it's a tough one. I, I don't have a, a, you know, one size fits all solution for that. Um, I would suggest though, that having transparent, open and honest conversations with your customer about the impact that they are having on your business is the way to do that. If you say to someone, listen, yeah, you owe me a million rand. If you don't pay me that million rand, right, for services delivered, we shut the lights out. There's no reason for you not to pay me. Your payment is now, it was within 30 days. Now it's 63 days. If you don't pay me this money or at least some of this money, um, we will go out of business. I won't be able to support the 35 families that I that are relying on you to pay for services rendered. And remember, as I said in the beginning, business is is personal, right? And you have to appeal to people. People, not the business, you know, not the dude in procurement. Hey, man, where's my money? But like the person behind the transaction, mm-hmm. uh, because people resp- people want to help people. Like I fundamentally believe that, you know, we want to do what's right. Mm. With if we can, whether we can or we can't, that's a different thing. 
Um, but but being bullish and uh, rude and aggressive and intimidatory to get someone to pay you their invoices is, is definitely Doesn't not work, yeah. going to work. <laughs> you know, so it's even you can even see it in the in the advertising space. The more personable you are with whatever you're doing, the better. People really want to connect with people. And a really good point that you made there with if you still want this business to be around. So I see it now currently with schools. So a lot of people, obviously, if you don't have a job, you can't pay your, your child's school fees. But, you know, in my family, we do have salaries. If you do have a salary, you should be paying school fees, I believe, because you want the school to still be there. Mm. Do not. So now in two, three months time, you haven't paid school fees, but the school's closed. And then that those same people are going to be the ones, oh, no, now the school's gone. Yeah, well, they needed to pay their staff and you didn't pay the school fees. So what do you expect? So if you want that service, mm. you want the, your favorite restaurant down the road to still be open in three months time, support them, pay them. Exactly. Yeah. Remember, there's that force majeure in a contract. So in your in your rental agreements as a business, you can execute force majeure to say, well, because of this like cataclysmic event, we're not going to pay you. Um, and so actually Cyril Ramaphosa, our president, actually said don't execute on that because that is the, it's the ripple effect that, that that creates because then think about you know, what happens in a, in a business that was supplying Edcon, as an example, all the 10,000 micro enterprises you know, and all the people that yeah. they support and where they buy their stuff from, all the micro uh, enterprises that they buy PAP from and stuff like that, you know. Um, it's uh, it, there's a ripple effect of everything, and so you have to be responsible around um, obviously, you know, doing the right thing because the right thing is always the right thing. Um, the right thing is always the right thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, should we take one more question? Cool. Okay. Cool. Hi, Matt. It's Kelly Soul Smith here from Altitude Advisory International. Um, a small niche management consulting company in South Africa. Um, I'm interested to find out from you what you think the secret sauce is to remaining relevant and competitive in the current digital age where technology is moving so quickly. And I think especially in light of recent events and the impact of COVID-19 basically resurrecting um, the shift towards the reliance on technology. Um, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on, on how you think um, new uh, entrepreneurial business can remain relevant in these very um, uncertain and ever-changing times. Thanks. Cool. So um, the secret. So th let's take. Let's talk about technology. So technology is uh, is an enabler, right? And because it's an enabler, it can apply to any industry, any company. If you think about um, PowerPoint or Zoom, think about Zoom, right? So or um, or any kind of uh, Microsoft Teams or something like that. There, it's a technology is an enabler for any business. So if you're the if you're if you're an independent software vendor or an ISV or someone that's developing technology, right, and you want to ensure that you want to remain relevant, then you cannot be everything to everyone. The, one of the greatest secrets to our success was we niched down. We said we're not for everybody. We're only for this type of customer. And so how you remain relevant is because when you when you niche down, when you decide that we're only for technology businesses, we're not for you know, automotive brands. That's for somebody else. You go play somewhere else. 
Um, and so when you're when you stand for someone, when you niche for someone, uh, and you niche down, you start to become really aware of what the problems are within that customer base. Mm. And so you can start to innovate. You can start to develop, uh, you know, new offerings, new ways of doing things that they haven't heard of before that make you special, that, that they feel make you special as their service provider. That's how you remain relevant. You choose to be for someone, for a very specific problem, right, that you can own. Choose something. Be for someone because that's the – everyone's trying to make money. They're trying to make a quick buck, so they'll take money from anywhere. And so when you do that, you, you never scale. You just stay the same. And I, I've learned that firsthand. So the secret sauce, Kelly, in my view, is pick a market. Be for energy, mm-hmm. right? Be for logistics companies. Be for someone because they will, they will immediately compare you to other companies who are everything to everyone. And they'll go, no, 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 this company only works with companies like us. And so they, there's yeah, a, then you feel, you feel understood and that's what people love. Absolutely. Absolutely true. So feel, niche, this the, is, this is such a pertinent thing for South African markets. So I see it in radio industry as well. Mm. So the whole South African mindset is always to be super inclusive you want to include everybody and everything. So we don't, we're scared to niche. So I see that in radio where in America in one, say in Dallas, you'll have 50 radio stations. You'll have one that's just rock, one that's just this. In South Africa, we don't want to do that. We want to just, I, I don't want to exclude anyone. Mm. We're scared to do that. So, and, and that's why people are scared to have a sort of niche approach. Yeah, I was scared. Because you're afraid of that. Yeah, we were scared as well. We were like, is there, we might not, if this doesn't work, we're not going to have a business. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you have to have a sense, right? You have to rely on your intuition. Talk to the customer. Say, listen, if I did this thing, would you buy? How much would you pay? Da, da, da. Do your research. Do your own research, you mm-hmm. know? Um, because uh, you don't know what you don't know, and you can't pivot if you don't really know. And so you never really know. Your team know more than you. Your customers know more than you. So spend time. Speak to 100 potential customers and say, listen, I want actually, you know what? I want uh, 5,000 Rand from you today for this thing or, or for early bird access because the price when we actually launch this thing is going to be 50,000 Rand, right? So if you get 10, cus- 10 companies paying you 5,000 Rand, one, you've floated some runway, you got some cash. Uh, and secondly, you've recog- you've, like to the first question that we answered today is that you've got somebody to pay for something. Right, and that's when you know that you've got a market there. Yeah, and the only certainty is uncertainty. So right now, it's more uncertain, but it's always uncertain. Exactly, it's not going to go away. Cool, guys. Let's wrap that up there. Uh, all thanks yeah. so much for all the questions and so on and so forth. Uh, we didn't get to all of them, of course, uh, but we will be doing this every Tuesday and Thursday. Next week, Tuesday is a public holiday, uh, but uh, we'll start again with this getting down with Brown show. Uh, <laughs> on Thursday at 9 a.m. Uh, don't forget, guys, you can join the studio line. Thank you all so much for being part of the show. And Saskia, welcome. Amazing. Oh, thank you. That was very cool. Awesome, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Yes, for sure. Thanks for listening to the Map Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, 
your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.